This episode is supported by Army Reserve Officers Training Corps, the college elective for undergraduate and graduate students that provides leadership training for success in any career field. If you have a passion for it, you can find a place to fit in the Army as an officer and get the training you need to turn that passion into a career. It offers merit-based scholarships that can pay up to the full cost of tuition and open educational opportunities. Whether you are in high school, college, or already in the Army, are you ready to become a leader? Enroll now! To receive more information about the Army ROTC program, visit goarmy.com podcast. This is Data Science at Home, the podcast that makes machine learning and artificial intelligence easy for everyone. Here's your host, Francesco Garaletta. Thanks for tuning in and welcome back to Data Science at Home podcast, where we talk about technology, machine learning and algorithms. Today's episode will be about deep learning and compression of data, and in particular, compressing images. We all know how important compressing data is, reducing the size of digital objects without affecting the quality of these objects. And as a very general rule, the more one compresses an image, the lower the quality due to a number of factors like bitrate, quantization error, and many other things that we will see across the, uh, the episode. I'm glad to be here with uh, Tong Chen, researcher at the School of Electronic Science and Engineering of Nanjing University in China. Tong developed a deep learning-based compression algorithm for images that seems to improve over state-of-the-art approaches like BPG, JPEG 2000, and JPEG. Hi Tong, how are you doing? Great, hi. So let's start from the beginning. What are the classic approaches to image compression? And by classic, I mean those that are not based on deep learning. Um, classic approaches like JPEG, JPEG 2000 and BPG really try to exploit signal redundancy by transform or prediction. Typical transform includes discrete cosine transform in JPEG or wavelet transform in JPEG 2000 and etc. Compression is then achieved by applying quantization and entropy coding of the transform coefficients. And of course, in the episode, we will see how uh, different uh, deep learning approaches are, uh, you know, how these approaches diverge from the traditional way of compressing images. Now, some researchers already have explored neural networks for data compression, for example, autoencoders that are used to reconstruct the input from the input itself by projecting the input sample into a, a lower dimensional space. Another approach consists in generating images that are visually similar to the input with the generative adversarial networks or GANs. Now, can you expand on these two schools of thoughts and, uh, you know, evaluating what are the pros and the cons, where do they excel, where do they fail? Traditional autoencoder tries to calculate the reconstruction loss between pixel in pixel domain, as you said. The intuition to use this structure is that the original images contain much spatial correlence, so we can eliminate redundancy by compact the input images into lower dimension. Basically, most learning-based approaches use such kind of architecture, uh, including most GAN-based image compression approaches. GAN is quite popular these days and can easily generate visually better results with rich texture and details. But if measured by some objective metric like PSMR, 
images generated by GAN may not look that impressive since some of the details they generated are just imagined or guessed, which means they're not the same as the original input. But GAN is still an effective way if the bitrate is extremely low, since in this case, classic approaches usually are unable to produce visible, acceptable results. Well, the biggest enemy of any researcher who works with the uh, DSP or digital signal processing, uh, everybody knows is quantization error, which is in the conversion from continuous to digital signals, a rounding error is inevitable uh, due to the limited number of bits that uh, are used to represent the original signal. This holds for audio, video, and of course images. How do you deal with quantization error in your deep image compression project? Yeah, quantization error is a big problem, especially when we hope to include quantization into our end-to-end -end trainable deep learning pipeline. It's where the distortion may come from. Since the quantization function itself is non-differential, we need to find it a continuous relaxation. According to what I know, there are two main approaches. One way to get this continuous approximation is by adding a uniform noise, or you can just skip the quantization layer during backward. Both methods work out well in image compression tasks. And uh, when you say non-differential, uh, this means that uh, in a deep learning uh, framework, or in a machine learning uh, op optimization, the optimizer would have a hard time during loss function minimization. Is that correct? Yeah, exactly. Okay, so another important factor in, uh, in signal compression is definitely the bitrate. Now, to give the listeners a very practical example of the role that the bitrate plays in digital signal processing, this very episode is compressed at 256 kilobit per second. Now, this is the bitrate that I personally chose to give the listeners a decent audio quality and at the same time containing and controlling the size of the final mp3 file they likely download from their phone. Now, I estimated the bitrate of 256 just by experience or gut feeling and by looking at the size of the final mp3 file. Usually one episode is 30 minutes, so I chose a bitrate that doesn't inflate the file too much. Now, in the deep image compression network, where does the bitrate play a role? And also, how did you estimate the perfect bitrate? Like any dosage compression framework, audios, videos, lower bitrate means worse quality, so it's a users who decide which is the rate and quality they desire or they can accept. What we can do is to offer them multi-models with a set of different bitrates so that all the users can choose from, from them according to their requirements. So the models would adapt to the bitrate or would there be uh, different models for different bitrates? Different models for different bitrates. I see. Well, now let's talk about the training process. As mentioned, you are using a neural network to produce a compressed version of an image. The same network is used to reconstruct the original input from the compressed image. You call it the reconstructed image. I guess you want to minimize the difference between the reconstructed image and the original image. First of all, what network are you using and how did you train such a network? 
The overall structure of our network is a convolutional autoencoder with ResNet block as basic unit. As an autoencoder, we definitely want to minimize the difference between the reconstructed image and the original image. In addition to that, we also have to control the bitrate of the compressed image. So we define a rate loss in addition to penalize the rate. Finally, the network is trained on a big image dataset to get optimized performance. And is there any particular reason you chose end-to-end -end training? Mm, I think that's because this end-to-end -end training is just simple and complete. Jointly, optimization over rate and distortion can usually get best performance. Well, would more images improve the compression rate or the overall quality of the compressed image? Um, all the images used for training should include as much as possible different textures, luminance, color, and things. So for given compression rate and with enough loops of training, more images can help get models with better generalization, which means better quality when compressing previously unseen images. And uh, is there any specific training datasets that you have used for this uh, project? Um, we, have using, we have been using Kodak dataset with 24 images, as well as the dataset released by this year's CVPR workshop for learned image compression. They are high resolution and they are great diversity. And would pre-training uh, the network help somehow in, uh, you know, making the training procedure faster or, or better? Um, most pre-trained models are learned for computer vision tasks. Actually, those features learned by computer vision tasks is quite different from our features learned by image compression. So it's difficult to transfer those pre-trained networks into our network. So you're saying that for computer vision tasks, these are more general purpose uh, computer vision networks? Yeah. Well, is any post-processing required after you reconstruct the image? Uh, for example, uh, traditionally, people use uh, denoising or deblocking, or they also filter uh, to remove compression artifacts. And since it's called end-to-end -end training, so we don't want to add any pre or post process. It's just unnecessary since all the all those filters, if you want, if you Add it as denoising or deblocking just to place the same role as some convolutional layers at the end of our network. Wow, so it's uh, off the shelf. Yeah. Well, training a neural network by minimizing the mean square error usually uh, is known to cut the high frequencies in the reconstructed signal. Now, does this affect the overall quality of the compressed images too? Yeah, that's right. Mean square error optimized network tend to get smooth output. So when the bitrate is quite low, we want we are using like gain or perceptual loss for the to optimize. Mm. So how do you actually use a GAN for uh, you know to deal with the low bitrate and the perceptual loss? And since GAN or perceptual loss they don't calculate the loss in pixel domain, they calculate the loss in the fixture domain or or as if, if it's a GAN, you just uh, try to discriminate the fate and the true images. So sometimes they don't get the exactly right output, but they look better. So if it's a very low bitrate, it will have very 
helpful for subjective quality. Well, we have seen this many times. After training a neural network, researchers need to, of course, evaluate the trained model. Now, how is this model evaluation performed? Um, we have validation datasets which are independent from the training data, so we can evaluate our model on these images. The performance would be measured by objective metric like PSNR or MSCM. You mentioned PSNR and MSCM as uh, uh, metrics to uh, perform um, uh, evaluation of the models. Now, what do these metrics uh, actually measure? PSMI is short for peak signal to noise ratio, and, and it's a ratio between the maximum possible power over signal. If it's an image, it would be like 255, and the power of the corrupting noise that affects the fidelity of its representation. MSM is short for multi-scale SIM. SIM is measures structural similarity instead of absolute error, so it's closer to subjective quality. And from the comparisons you provide in the paper, your approach seems to perform just slightly better than BPG, which is apparently the best possible solution one can have. What characterize your approach from BPG? Like, is there a specific application where one might prefer deep compression to a more classic approach like BPG? BPG is known to be one of the best traditional image compression methods. It's based on HVVC. HVVC is a video compression codec. Such classic approaches have been developed for decades. They're efficient and with great per compression performance, but nowadays, they have been facing some performance bottlenecks. So at the same time, deep learning-based approaches begin to show its potential and have actually outperformed the BPG. And so, and our, our learned codec is significantly different from any existing codec and it's still developing quickly. For the moment, it's still hard to tell whether deep compression can totally replace classic approaches, but it's worth the time to give it a try. Absolutely. And do you think such a method would suit compression of other types of data other than images? I think so. We have been trying to extend this kind of approach to the compression of data with bigger dimension like hyperspectral data, point cloud data, and as well as video sequences. Oh, and regarding the compression of this hyperspectral data, which I assume is a, a data with a very large number of dimensions, how were uh, yeah. How did this experiment go? We did some experiments on hyperspectral data. Um, since we don't have much existing hyperspectral data compression codec to be compared, so, but our approach showed great compatibility to this data. I see. Is there any future work on uh, the deep compression algorithm that you just developed? About future work, we have just attended the three workshop for learned image compression and we will keep working on improving the performance. Other efforts include that we're looking for methods that can reduce the computational complexity so that we can put our codec into hardware, into mobile devices. This would be extremely interesting indeed. Well, Ton, thank you very much for being at Data Science at Home. And uh, of course, in the show notes of these episodes, we'll report uh, the references to your uh, uh, research paper and uh, eventually your contacts. Okay, thank you.
Thanks for being here. Bye. Okay, thank you. This episode is supported by CryptPad, the secure collaboration platform to edit your documents with colleagues and friends without compromising your privacy. No document can be read by the cloud or the NSA, not even CryptPad themselves. You can try it for free. For more, visit cryptpad.fr. C-R-Y-P-T-P-A-D dot F-R. This was Data Science at Home the podcast that makes machine learning and artificial intelligence easy for everyone. If you like the show, don't forget to write a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Podbean. You can also find us on datascienceathome.com, where you can subscribe to our newsletter and get the latest updates. Thanks for listening. Hey, are you still there? Well, let me tell you about the newsletter of Data Science at Home. It's my free digest of the best content in artificial intelligence, data science, predictive analytics, and computer science. Subscribe now, datascienceathome.com.